Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined the line later today by Chris Duffin. Now, before we jump into this week's show, want to give you a little bit of a recap of the week that was, some new and noteworthy. Got all kinds of stuff I want to chat with you about before we get into this show. So, first and foremost, if you have not checked it out, Bill Hartman and I have created the iFast podcast. We actually just recorded our second episode today. If you cannot find it in iTunes yet, we are working on that. I'm getting uh, the Libsyn set up. I'm getting all the iTunes stuff set up this week. For now, if you would like to check it out, you can find it on the YouTubes. So I will do my best to drop a link in the show notes. But so far, we have two episodes, and I hope you enjoy it. We've talked so far about how we opened the gym, kind of what prompted us to do this, where we were at in life. So a little bit of business side and a little bit of just personal from us about why we opened the gym. And then this most recent episode that we just recorded today was all about our internship process and how that's evolved over the years from going way back in the day, that first intern which we rightfully deemed Nick the intern, up to the evolution of the process and where we're at now and how much more sophisticated it is. So if you are interested in what we do at iFast, I would highly recommend checking that show out because, you know, I mean, I don't have enough stuff going on. I need to record an extra podcast every week, but it's been a lot of fun. I just love sitting down and just chatting with Bill, and uh, I hope you enjoy that show as well. Number two, have some athlete notes for you guys. I don't brag about my athletes probably enough and it's kind of like a dad bragging about their kids like I'm just so prideful and so proud of some of these young men and women that I get to work with so uh, just a few updates Glenn Robinson the third playing for Golden State unfortunately the team right now is struggling it doesn't doesn't help when you're missing Clay Thompson and then Steph Curry goes down and then Draymond Green goes down but Glenn is having just a really solid year for a guy that's averaged probably 15 minutes a game over his career he's averaging 30 to start this season putting up really good numbers so just really proud of him and happy for him because that guy has put in so much work the last two off seasons so it's exciting to see him getting a real opportunity in Golden State and playing for such a great coach in Steve Kerr so love that he is doing well my boy Chad Marshall Haven't talked about him on the show for a while. Kind of just had a rough go at the start of the year. It's no secret that Chad had uh, off-season knee surgery this past year and tried to get back out there. Just wasn't happening for him. And so uh, he retired during the middle of the year. But, you know, the Sounders really had an amazing year. Actually, the other day just took home their second MLS Cup. So very, very excited for for Chad, even though he wasn't on the pitch uh, that day. I mean, the effort that he has put into that club for the last five, six years has been really unparalleled. He's had such a resurgence in his career and so happy for him. At the same time, really sad for my good friend, Eric Zavaleta, um, who played on the other side. <laughs> it's been awful. You know, three out of the last four years, Toronto has played Seattle for the MLS Cup. And I feel like divided because it's like two of your kids playing for opposite teams. Um, so I felt really gut-wrenched for Eric. Again, great human being, spent a lot of time with him this past offseason. Uh, I know the work that he put in to get himself out there to be ready to go for the club and for them to come up you know, one game short. I feel awful for him, but great human beings. Chad got to go out uh, on a good note, and I'm sure Eric will continue to get his body ready and be prepared and you know, hopefully continue to have more success as, as he moves on in his career. So excited for them. 
One more, probably have not heard of this young lady, but my girl, Megan Wampler, girl that I've trained for like the last two off seasons now, spent a lot of last year with her um, to help get her ready for this season at IU. And she was recently named as a freshman, all Big Ten tournament first team. So kudos to you, Megs. Man, love you, girl. So happy to see you out there playing at a high level and really performing at at your fullest. So excited for you. So those are my athlete notes. And then the last thing I wanted to fill you guys in on was a little bit of travel that I had this last week. So I went to an event in San Diego called the Perfect Life Retreat. Now you may be thinking, well, that doesn't sound like, like a fitness event. And it most definitely is not. Although a lot of fitness people attend it because it was hosted by a guy named Craig Ballantyne, who I first met, I think it was in 2006, 2007 at a Ryan Lee bootcamp and solid individual made very good money in the fitness industry, but I don't think was totally fulfilled in the fitness industry and has since moved on to like the business productivity side of things. So he owns a a website called early to rise that I'm a huge fan of. It's just full of great content. And, you know, I just love that kind of stuff. I love learning more about business. I love learning more about personal development, productivity. So I decided I wanted to go to this event for a couple of reasons. Number one, I get to see some of my friends like Luca, Jay, Ferrugia, you know, just there are multiple people there that I wanted to catch up with. But also too, I never want to get kind of incestuous in my thinking. And I want to constantly find no new seminars, new people to hang out with, and just to continue to broaden my own scope and my own horizons. Because as amazing as iFast is, you know, I'm realistic in the fact that we kind of live in a bubble here. So I always want to expose myself to new people, new thoughts, new ideas, so that I can take it and hopefully integrate some of that back into what we're doing at the gym. So needless to say, awesome event. Absolutely loved it. I think I looked back yesterday because I got up early. I mean, I never got on West Coast time the whole time I was there. And I was actually up early yesterday before my flight and typed everything out. I had 24 pages worth of notes. So needless to say, I was not just sitting there on my duff, kind of, you know, checking my phone and hanging out with my buddies all weekend. Like I was working. And a lot of that I think is really actionable stuff that I'm going to be able to use going forward. So it was an awesome event. Like I said, I got to hang out with people like Luca, uh, my boy Kenny from LA, Jay Ferrugia. I got to meet a ton of new people, some Instagram influencer types, I think you may describe them as, but you know, just people that are putting out really high quality work in different areas of fitness uh, that I wasn't familiar with up to this weekend. So that was exciting. And I want to leave you with this because if you ever think you are having a bad day, I want to tell you about my trip home. So to give you context, whenever I hang out with Luca, my entire life is put back six to eight hours from what I would normally do, right? Because this guy trends late in the day, you know, he stays up longer than I do. He eats like two big meals a day. So maybe he eats like breakfast or brunch and then like a big dinner. Whereas I'm like these time meals. So I just describe this as Luca time, right? Because I'm already back three hours because of the time change. And then there's another three to five hours to just offset like when this dude (laughs) normally operates and how he rolls. So by Sunday, I have dialed in Luca time, right? Like I'm on point. I know how we eat. I know when we're going to eat. So he says, hey, we're going to go to brunch at 915. So I'm already kind of like getting myself prepared to be back in Indiana, right? So I'm like, okay, so that's like 12, 15, no big deal. So it's like lunch. And I decide, well, I'm going to eat a really big meal. 
because I've got these two flights, neither of which are super long, but I did use a bunch of points from my Amex card, so I upgraded to first class. So I was like, hey, this is gonna be nice. You know, I'll have a big meal now, probably won't eat much on the first flight, but on the second flight, I'll get dinner. So this is my thinking and all my infinite wisdom. So huge breakfast, you know, like chorizo scramble, there's potatoes, there's sour bread or, or sourdough bread. I had an acai bowl. I mean, just this massive breakfast, right? And I'm like, I'm good, like feeling good. Hop on this first plane. They give me like this little, I think they called it like a chicken cold plate. So, you know, I have the chicken cold plate. It's like a, basically a salad, no dressing or anything. So I get on the second flight. And keep in mind now, I start to realize, man, it's kind of late, like Indiana time, it's like eight o'clock. I haven't really ate hardly anything since this, this big brunch that we had. So I'm sitting there and I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm like legitimately starving. So I realize, oh, I've got some, some almonds in my bag. I eat those. Next thing I know, I'm like, man, like I need dinner now. And I, I'm thinking about grabbing the stewardess and asking her how long it is till the service. <laughs> so she takes my order. It's like this chicken tikka masala thing. She she brings it over. She said, do you want a drink? And I'm sitting in first class, right? So, you know, I'm going to enjoy it. So yeah, you know, just bring me a glass of wine. So I have like two sips of this wine. I start eating my dinner and all of a sudden, like we're talking profuse sweating. Literally, it's like pouring off my face. I'm sweating through my dry fit on the back. I'm sweating through the sweatpants that I have on. I mean, I, I'm a hot mess. Then I, I'm about to start freaking out because I'm really hot and clammy. Well, then like my vision starts to like black over, right? So I think like either I'm getting like super nauseous or I'm having a panic attack or something. I have no idea what's going on. And I realized, man, I should probably say something, but I honestly didn't think I could. I didn't think I could muster the energy to say something to the stewardess. And I thought, what is she going to do anyway? Right? They're not going to like put the plane down for me. So I go back to my meditation right? And it's all this transcendental meditation I did. I go and just for like five minutes, I start getting my mind right. <sighs> About five minutes later, I open my eyes. I'm like, okay, like I'm not hundred percent, but I'm definitely better. So I keep meditating like five more minutes. I'm like, okay, like, I think I got this. I think I'm good. So luckily we're only like 30 minutes out get my, my wits back about me. And needless to say, the second I can get off this plane, I do. I'm like, man, I'm out of here. All I want to do is get in my car, get in my bed and get a good night's rest. So I get down to baggage claim. I'm like the first one down there. And I start hearing Mike Robertson, Mike Robertson, please go to the United baggage staff attendant, please. I'm like, okay, great. They like lost my bag or something, which whatever. I don't care. Send me my bag. I'm going home. So I walk up. And the gal's like, uh, did you leave something at uh, the airline, sir? I said, you know, start checking myself. I'm like, no, I got my keys. I got my wallet. I got my phone. If you've ever heard that, I think it's Adam Sandler's kit. Pretty funny. But no, I'm like, no, I got everything. She's like, uh, check your bag, sir. So I look in. I'm like, dang it. I had left my laptop in like the seat back area, right? You know, where like all the magazines get stuff. I'd put it in there. I was writing a program which I had banged out right before dinner came, dropped it in there, it had slid all the way down so I couldn't see it. I'm like, okay, well, like, can they bring it up here? And she's like, yeah, I don't think they can. They're like getting all the bags off. So you're gonna have to go back to get it. I'm like, sweet Christmas woman, are you serious? So now I have to get like a fake boarding pass, basically. She's like, you can't use your old boarding pass. So she has to give me a gate pass 
I have to walk 15 minutes. I have to go back through security at 1030 at night, which you would be shocked because there's like 30 people in line through the one area that you can go through, right? I'm supposed to go to A concourse, but A concourse is closed. So I have to go through security and B concourse to wait for all these people, you know, just do that whole song and dance. I have to walk all the way back to the farthest gate, finally get my stuff and I get to go home like 45 minutes after the fact. So if you ever think you're having a bad day, just remember you didn't almost pass out on a plane. You didn't leave your laptop. It could have been so much worse. So I got in my car. I just said, look, all this could have been so much worse. I could have had like a medical major emergency. I could have left my laptop or lost my laptop, which would have been soul crushing to me. But if you're having a bad day, just remember, you didn't have my day a couple weeks ago. So count your blessings. Hopefully you enjoy that. We're going to do a quick message about the upcoming Complete Coach Certification. My friends, March 2020, it's going to be here before you know it. So if you didn't get on the first insiders list, definitely get on this one. So quick message about that. And then we're going to jump into this awesome show with Chris Duffin. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if that sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and who know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. And the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the cert is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will only open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next cert will launch in March of 2020, and if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to CompleteCoachCertification.com. Again, CompleteCoachCertification.com, and then stay tuned for emails in the coming weeks. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Chris Duffin is the co-founder, chief engineer, and visionary at Kabuki Strength, an organization devoted to optimizing human performance and making the world a better place through strength. Chris is arguably one of the strongest pound-for-pound humans in the world, with a 944-pound squat and a 1,002-pound deadlift, but he's also one of the most respected strength coaches in our industry as well. Chris was previously ranked number one in the world in various powerlifting disciplines and has held numerous world records. Now retired, he is known for his industry-changing innovations in education and the strength and clinical worlds. In this show, Chris and I talk about how a self-proclaimed little skinny nerd became one of the strongest human beings on the planet, the incredibly simple program he followed to deadlift over a thousand pounds, and why every person who trains should respect the power of having very specific goals. Chris is incredibly candid in this episode, and I know you're going to love it. But enough for me, let's do this. 
Chris, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. There's uh, many facets, but I'll try to run through those. So (laughs) I am a co-founder of Kabuki Strength, which is an education and equipment company. So we specialize kind of in proper biomechanics, loading principles. Our equipment is an output of that. I've been a competitive lifter for a number of years myself, held numerous all-time world records, hold the Guinness world record on, uh, well, at least one thing still. And um, I function kind of as our chief engineer here, you know, on the product side and then uh, oversee uh, the education. I've got uh, a few other smaller companies that I'm involved with. Build Fast Formula does uh, really great supplementation and launching Barefoot Athletics, which is a minimalist shoe company and We'll be doing some education on foot mechanics and stuff like that, although we do a lot of foot mechanics education with Kabuki. I've got an autobiography out kind of on my yes. my, my life, my philosophy, all that sort of stuff because it's a, it's been a, a, a long story to get to where I'm at. Everybody's got their story, yeah. um, but I definitely have seen a lot of scope in my life and success in a few different areas. So my background is actually kind of engineering and business management. I ran aerospace and automotive manufacturing companies for <laughs> 18 years, right? high tech, high tech, I would come in and they'd hire me to kind of turn around a company or a division or grow it from like a, a from a regional to a national or international presence, hmm. update and manufacturing processes, cultural change, stuff like that. So sometimes I'd, well, like my last gig at aerospace, I got turned around the company, got it, got it sold and all that sort of stuff. So, but uh, I've worked as a coach on the side. I owned a gym for a number of years, and when I was just felt that my calling was to help people live better through strength, I saw so much like crap out there. Yeah. Excuse my language. No. As far as education on movement and tools available and things like that, mostly it was really on the education side that I there was so much just bad information. I started putting out content. I think around 2007 on YouTube writing for various platforms. And finally, I was just like, you know, you know, watching the impact that you can have in the space today and reaching people around the world and like literally helping change their lives, getting people out of pain, like him, like my, my whole background is leadership. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I, that's what I loved out of it is like getting people to accomplish things that they never thought were possible themselves. Right. And seeing the impact. And so I'm like, coaching is my life. Like that's actually what I took. That's what I enjoyed. You know, I didn't care about the fact I was making, you know, gears or circuit boards or airplane parts, you know, right. It was the impact I was having on the people within the company. And obviously the physical side of thing has been a, a passion of mine forever. I've been training since 1988. So wow. I've done everything. I, I like one of your posts that you did recently where it's like, I've done everything wrong. I'm like, <laughs> yes. yes, that's yes. me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I've accumulated a lot of years experience on that. So that, but that's, that's where I'm sitting today. I love so it. Man. We're, we're a company it. having a pretty big impact out there. We're all, all over professional sports, collegiate sports, a uh, number of different Olympic sporting athletes using our stuff, ultra marathoners and tour de France cyclists downhill, like all sorts, like every, we're everywhere. Yeah. So no, that's awesome. That's awesome, man. What what got you originally into like fitness and working out and all that stuff? I was a little skinny nerd, and uh, <laughs> I am still a nerd, <laughs> just less skinny. less skinny. So, yes, yes. So yeah, somewhere around uh, junior, yeah, somewhere in junior high or middle school, somewhere in there, I was definitely the uh, the, the nerd of the class, and I. But I, I, I grew up in a very physical manner. 
just living in the woods and stuff like that. And so I was always very active. And I'm like, I, I, I love this, but I want to like start lifting and like balance, you know, my, you know, my, you know, training mm-hmm. both the mental aspect and the, and the physical aspect. And I started that really young and it really had a huge impact on my confidence my, which affected lots of things that affected my social interactions positively. It affected, like, it's just, was it just a great thing in my life at that period of time? Yeah. And, uh, so I think it was around 2000, I was training for, I was just training in a gym and there was a couple bodybuilders training for a show and they looked like so much better than me. Like <laughs> they were bigger, they were aesthetic there, but in the gym, I'd run circles around them. I lifted right. more weights. I lifted, I did more work than them. And I'm like, well, clearly bodybuilding is definitely not my calling, but you know, back in the nineties, late eighties, all the way through the nineties, like you, all you had was like Arnold's encyclopedia of bodybuilding, yeah. Bill Pearl's book. And like everything was, I, I knew nothing about like actual performance aspect of, of things, but I loved, I love lifting heavy. Yeah. So I'm like, there's gotta be some sort of competition, you know, and, uh, you know, the internet was actually around in 2000. So, uh, <laughs> I did a little, uh, <laughs> did a little search and found a bench press and deadlift competition. Okay. And I'm like, what's the, what's this deadlift thing? I know all about benching. Yes, right. I know about benching. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was my first exercise. Yeah. <laughs> and so I showed up and I did it and I was like, Hmm. Oh, so I'll be doing this the rest of my life. Right. Like it was just <laughs> like, it was just like, wow, this, this fits me. And yeah. so I wanted to be the best that I could. So I started compiling my own equipment, researching. I'm just a, uh, maybe it's that engineering side of me, but I'm yes. attention to details, everything. I'm like, once I got a path, I'm like, okay, let's figure this out. Right. And uh, pretty quickly I realized after basically being asked nicely or not so nicely to exit a number of gyms and I'm like, I've got to build my own place. I want to, I want to, I want to have that. So I started my own gym, I think around 2003, open to the public with a 4,000 square foot space. And I think 2008, and then it grew from there. I think around 2015, we moved into our current space, which the gym at that time inhabited 9,000 square feet. It's shrunk a little bit as we've grown the manufacturing side of the business. Hmm as well. But yeah, so you're asking, you know, how did I get into the, you know, the, that, that human performance aspect? And I'd say it didn't really start until I started like compiling some injuries. Oh, I gotcha. So, so this is around maybe like 20 years into training ish or so around, yeah, it was around 2008 or so. So I was producing education cause I was already frustrated with what was out there. And then I started getting injuries and I'd go to, uh, you know, the surgeon or the doctor, whoever. And it was, it was very specific, like, here's your shoulder. This is what we're going to do. Here's your elbow. This is the, you know, and I'm like, there has to be like some sort of like systematic, you know, root issue that's driving like this, these injuries across my body. Right. And so I started doing more research down that path and seeing different people and I, ran into what's called dynamic neuromuscular stabilization at that time Mm, and started playing with those principles with a mentor, Dr. Philip Snell. And then he started introducing me. I started catching on really quick, started coaching some of my athletes with the principles and started realizing a lot of results. And, you know, I'm I'm a fairly intelligent, fairly well-spoken guy. So Snell, again, with my passion to kind of 
discover this stuff, started doing introductions and helping me along the path. And I started signing up for a lot of like clinical based courses. So DNS, I took some stuff with Dr. Craig Liebenson, Mm -hmm. went through McGill's courses and, you know, just continue. Those are some of them. There's a bunch of stuff I just started doing. But a little bit more clinical, researchy side of things. And then I'd have to figure out how does this, what does this mean actually in training? Right. How do I put this into place? Because people weren't covering it, you know, in that manner. Because I'd be in, you know, course full of clinicians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it was interesting. So in the course of it, like I'd meet the instructors and I'd start like talking on the side about things. And I think they appreciated you know, my look and also being an athlete and like asking other questions and like, Hey, what about this? And how do we put this in place? And, you know, next thing you know, I'm like, I'm, you know, giving lectures with McGill. I'm giving lectures with Stevenson. I'm with Snell at the college doing the continuing education on flexion intolerant backs. I'm, you know, it's just like, okay, oh, I'm, I'm at Exos. I'm at, you know, the Swiss or wherever covering these topics. And it just like, it grew naturally, yeah. uh, but it really was about, I knew I'm, you know, I'm, I, I know you can learn a lot on your own, but you've got to like reach out there. And, and so that was my goal was to try to, once I started down that path, I'm like, I want to network with them, the, the brightest people around and like in these particular areas. And now if you actually go on Kabuki Strengths Advisory Board, you'll find <laughs> a lot of these names plus many more that I'll uh, kind of support and participate in in the stuff that we've got. And interesting, so I had I had a list of like people that I wanted to get to know and you were on the list by the yes. way. Yes. Yes. Uh, and I just was busy with starting the company and all that other stuff like some things just dropped off but like when I saw you like a month ago I'm like Yes, yes. <laughs> like, I didn't even have to work for this. Okay, there's Mike right here. That's awesome. All right. I, I'll get to, I get to build a relationship with Mike. So here we are. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I love it. I love it. So one thing I would love to talk about, and obviously there's so many ways we could take this show, but I would love to know a little bit about just what drew you into powerlifting. Because I know that's one thing that, that kind of thrust you onto the scene. And then obviously you were successful. So kind of a two-part question here. What got you started? And then what what do you attribute your success in that sport to? Okay. So what got me started was that simple story about being in the gym and training with the bodybuilders and like, hey, I'm never going to be, clearly I'm not developing the most musculature with the amount of training as these other individuals are, but I'm way stronger. Right. So how can I utilize what I'm good at? to, and to, to show either, maybe it's showcase or just elicit or see what my capabilities are, because clearly that's a better place for me to fit. And then once I did it, it was like, it was supposed to be a one-time thing just so that I could say, oh yeah, no, I've competed before I've done, you know, that was my, my goal. And then I did that and I was like, whoa, okay. I actually really, really enjoy this. And I wasn't expecting that. Right. And it gave me focus, which I like. It's I, I find I perform much better if I've got like a vision and things that I'm, you know, training, planning for very specific goals instead of just like going and showing up at the gym. Right. right? Absolutely. So, yes, I, I, I did pretty well. I think a good part of that is honestly genetics. I find that I'm a little bit stronger on average than most people. Um, and uh, – <laughs> But more so, my ability to recover is is much higher than 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 the norm. Hmm. Interesting. And, uh, 
And has that so, always has that always been the case, or is that something you've had to work on? Or like, I'm interested by that. Yeah, it's it's mostly just an observation, just with spending a lot of time training around with people. It took me a while to figure out, but you'll notice like my my peak performance is like late 30s to into my 40s. Yeah, after. Not just not because I started training at 32, like I started training at 12. Right. Um, but if I can recover more and get more work done than most people, and be able to go in and hit another session, right? You're going to end up compiling over time better results. Absolutely. And so after a while, it's like, oh no, it's because I, I. It's because you know early on, it's like, oh no, it's because I outwork everybody because I could clearly see that. And then after a while, I realized, well. I can't put other people through the paces of what I do. Right. <laughs> so, so let's be honest with myself. You know, I probably have some heightened potential for recovery over other people. Yeah. Huh. And then, and then gaining the knowledge, I've accelerated that even further on the human performance side. Right. So, yeah. but just trying to be honest, I, I hate when, you know, people that are, you know, top tier in whatever sport they are, it's like, oh, it's all hard work. Anybody can do it. Well, right. actually, yeah, it was all hard work. Like they had to do that, but they had to be able to recover. They had to get there. They had to have the genetic potential. Had to, like there's, you have to have all these things, yes. and it's really easy just to say it's because I did this, and and so I try to have some humility and actual re- reflection on these things and go, yeah, I, I did all that, right? Like, but you can't neglect the fact that you know, you know, I did this. You know, I was right. like, yeah. I, you know, my first time walking into a gym the first year is like a freshman, you know, I, I was you know, maybe sophomore or something like that. You know, I was laying down the bench, knew, knew th- didn't know much about it. You know, I was sitting there doing my workouts, sets of five with 275 oh my you know, as, a, as a 170 pound, you know, high school kid. Right. right. So That's crazy. I'm like, yeah, is that the strongest around? No, it's probably, you know, somebody that's one of the stronger people in the state. Yeah, you know, for sure. Not the not the region or the world or the whatever, but I'm not in the 50 percentile, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, 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 I, it's just more of an admission there, right? Yeah. That there's a, you've got to you've got all those things have to come into play to achieve an elite status. Yeah. So no, I love that. Um, and then kind of the later part of my career. So you know, I'm I'm turning 43 this winter, and I'm still chasing big things, and I'm doing big things. My training has changed a lot to be able to still do that, but there's, you know, like I said, I've done it all wrong. So I've had, I have multiple surgeries. I've got herniated discs. I've had to learn to walk again. I've had nerve damage. I've had, Mm. the the list goes on and on. I've been through it. I know how to not have that happen. I help people not have that happen, but I have the residual effects of all this as well. You know, just being able to put the stuff together on proper training, proper movement fundamentals, proper positioning, being able to uh, create the right tension in the body appropriately to handle those loads, you know, all these things allow me to overcome, I guess overcome would be the right word because in many cases, these are devastating career ending injuries that I've been yeah, through for sure. and I'm still, I'm still at it. Yeah. And so I, I like to do it now just to actually demonstrate what we're capable of, right? Yeah. That if we put this stuff into place, it doesn't have to be the end of the world, you know? And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's great to be able to, if you're helping people get out of back pain and they go, you don't know what this is like. I'm like, yeah, I've been, 
you know, I've had to have a walker and learn to walk again. Like, right. you know, this is a long process and you're going to, you got, you have to do the work and you have to own it. The only person that's get out of it is you, but it can be done. Yeah. And you know, if they, I don't know exactly what yours is like. I don't know what your pain experience is like or any of that, but I've been through this process. You know, I'm speaking from experience. I have the education as well, but you know, being able to, to have that really, I think, you know, helps. For so, sure. I, I don't know if I answered your question directly. Yeah, I, I think you rambled did. rambled a few different. Uh, I so. think you did. So I, I do have a follow up though. So, you know, you said you continue to set PRs for a long time and you're still putting up very heavy weights. I follow you obviously on the gram. So what's changed? <laughs> what's changed in your training in the last say five years that's allowed you to continue to perform at a high level? Yeah. So a lot has changed. Between 38 to 43, my body is definitely starting to respond a little differently, right? Yeah, for sure. I think on the, I may not notice as much, but we're talking about like doing eight, 900 pound squats and deadlifts on a pretty regular basis. Like if you're putting that type of stress on your body, the minutest thing that's off or doesn't recover, you're going to see yep. versus coming in and doing a workout, mm -hmm. right? So so I may not notice as much if I'm just working out, but under those conditions, it's very, it's very noticeable. So one of the things that I did, and I, I basically retired from powerlifting four years ago. So this was the point where I realized that I was no longer able to really realize my full potential within that sport anymore because of the physical restrictions around me. I was yeah. leaving so much on the table. I've got surgery on both elbows. You know, it, it definitely... I have limited range of motion and it sounds like a pretty minor thing like, but you know, if your arm doesn't go past 90 and you try to bench press, yeah. what's going to happen? What's going to happen to your shoulder to touch your chest? Exactly. Okay. Yep. You're going to compromise that shoulder. It's going to roll out of position every time, right? Now what's going to happen if you're doing that multiple times a week? What's going to happen now if you're squatting 900 pounds on top of that? Right. Now if your elbow doesn't extend all the way and let's say you're doing a sumo deadlift, what kind of twist are you going to have in the spine because the bar is hanging out three or four inches on one side mm. in front of you because you can't pull it in tighter, right? And so, like, next thing you know, I'm like, fuck, I'm leaving like 150. Like, I'm chasing these, you know, I'm competing with the best of the best. They're all like 10 years younger than me, of course. But right. uh, <laughs> I'm chasing these all-time world records. I'm doing all this. I'm like, and I'm leaving 150 to 200 pounds on the plate in what I, you know, yeah. right, right now. So I'm like, you know what? I've competed for 16 years now. I was ranked number one in the world for eight years straight, set multiple all-time world records. I'm like, I've done my time. Right. So I'm going to transition. I'm going to transition when I was starting the business too. So I'm like, I can't be working on other people's schedules. You know, like, the, you know, so I'm like, I'm just going to do everything on my terms at this point. I've done my time. I've done my work. And so this allowed me to make some really big changes in my training. So I decided that I'm going to be, I call it an exhibition lifter. <laughs> you, could, you could call it lifting for the gram. I don't know. Yeah. But I do, I do these at events though. So I do, uh, I'll do my feats of strength at an event and I, and I combine it with one of our core pillars in our company is basically charity giving back. And yes. so I'll combine a feat of strength with awareness and fundraising for a charity. Okay. And so and now what that's allowed me to do, one, I'm no longer competing in powerlifting. Well, I don't have to bench press. Right. So I still train my pecs. Like everybody's like, how, how, how do you keep your size? I'm like, you know, there is actually more ways to 
train the chest than to straight bar bench press, right? Right. But but no, it's trust me, it's fine. <laughs> I can still do this. You know, so like I love doing like standing cable work. You yeah. know, one, I'm not compromising my spine. I'm rooted to the floor. Like there's a whole lot of stuff that just automatically happens. That right there ensures better, like better performance through that shoulder, right? Yep. If we've got that connected really well through the core, there's a lot of stuff. I can make that happen in the bench press, but it takes a lot of skill development to actually get that shoulder to foot connection all locked all through the system, right? Yeah, and uh, sure. then we teach that and we teach that, but boom, it just happens there. Yep. You know, the weights are lighter. I can actually control it, you know, so that, you know, I'm not going past, you know, my capable range of movement. Yep. And now I can actually maintain good shoulder position and so, so on. The other thing that I made is I want to just take the performance level to the next level. I don't need to get bigger. <laughs> I've been training for a long time, so I've got well-established movement patterns. So I don't need as much of the skill acquisition part, right? Yep. I don't need as much of the hypertrophy. I need some maintenance. Yep. So it really changes. It's not a program that you could give somebody that's even been training for five years. Right. But I'm like, I'm going to set, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to deadlift 1,000 pounds for reps. I did that. <laughs> the only person in the world that's ever done it, right? Yeah, that's crazy. How did I do it? You know what I did for nine months? What? I deadlifted. <laughs> I deadlifted. A lot of deadlifts. And, and guess what I didn't do? A lot of anything else. Right. Right? So all of my recovery, everything is all geared. So I did other stuff in there as it was appropriate. And then as we got closer and closer, the last couple months, like I literally did nothing but show up to the gym twice a week and work up and hit a certain number of repetitions within a certain intensity range, okay, yeah. based on the goals. And that was it. And everybody's like, that's all you're doing? I'm like, well, yeah. But, <laughs> you, you know, at the same time, it's pretty freaking intense. But imagine, so at the, to pull that off, I was pulling between 12 to 15 reps a week between 850 to 950 pounds. The oh other gosh. session of the week, I was going from a deficit I was pulling from a small deficit and I was pulling between eight to 900 pounds, 12 to 15 repetitions total. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that's all. You need right? to do it. Just that. That's all. That's it. <laughs> but it, if you, anybody has got any sort of, you know, experienced training knows that that's, that's huge. Like, yeah. like where did, where, where was most sore? I'm like from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, I was just like <laughs> sore all the time. Right. right? So. But most people would never be able to go, hey, I'm just going to do that. And yep. then it's like, okay, I'm going to go for a squat goal. Well, I'd start, look, you know, we're going we're gonna to plan this. It's like a year out planning at least. One, there's actually a multi-year plan of like all, everything is because I can't do much pressing to realize full potential. Everything has been focused on axial loading, yeah, squatting and deadlifting. So, so this has been a five year, four or five-year process now of increasing my tolerance to axial loading. Okay. So all of my training is built around that. And it's an annual cycle. So because the, you know, a lot of people want to talk work capacity. I'm going to go on a tangent here for a minute. Let's They'll go. talk work capacity. Hey, I got to do more prowler sprints and more rope swings and more whatever. And I'm like, okay, is that really work capacity if your sport isn't using, you know, the right? Yeah. Because absolutely. that's not more, that's not more capacity to put a bar on your back and do repetitions. Yeah. So people can't grasp like, well, they can, but you, you, like in general, people are thinking like conditioning is work capacity. Well, yes, it's 
capacity for aerobics, uh, you, know, yeah. you, know, you know, or another energy system. And that's good and valuable. But understand what it is for me and for many athletes, people don't to the time of like looking at what is actually involved in that sport. Yes. And so we look at things like on a, in a vector standpoint. So what are the what are the force vectors? So right. it's just like the, the hip thrusters. Hip thrusters are great movement. I've got some videos out there where I bash them, but I bash them for strength athletes. Right. Because it, it is a front to back vector. Yeah. It's going to make you jump further, run faster, but it's not going to make you squat more or deadlift more, even though it's using the same muscles. Muscles. Yep. Right? For sure. So, so, so if we break it all down, this is really simple stuff to understand, but that's where I was talking about like, you know, misconceptions in the industry, <laughs> you know? So understanding that now, now like we can build this plan around that. And so it's like, oh, right now I haven't deadlifted since last November. Wow. You know, and, and, yeah. and, and that's fine. That, that's fine for me. Like it doesn't right. scare me, doesn't bother me because I'm still working everything else that has the same effect on that. Yes. Right. Yep. But now when I can take all this stuff out and really, truly manage work, because it's like, you know, I'll come in on some pump days. And so I was talking about training my chest. Yeah. You know, right now, a couple of days a week just to stay full or looking good because I want to look the part. I'm sorry. Let's just start right. honesty. Like right. I'm a known strength athlete. And so I come in and I'll, I'll spend an hour, you know, doing doing some flies with my, you know, and some side delt raises and some curls, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. And then as it gets closer, that stuff's going to just go completely away because even though that has a minimal effect on my recovery, it still has some, right? Mm -hmm. So, so the final phases early on, you know, we're going to be looking at exercises that are going to develop qualities that like obviously being able to maintain position, back strength, all that is huge for me being able to squat a thousand pounds, which is my current goal. Yep. So there was a lot of, you know, uh, good mornings using our transformer bar with a really aggressive forward setting, a lot of things, you know, and then, then we'll periodize that. We'll start dropping that out and getting more specific as I get closer to it, where in the final phases, it becomes just a hundred percent back squat. That's yeah. it. Right. And so that's how my training's changed. It's like there's all the fluff is basically removed and everything is focused on very specific goals, but it would not work for most everyone because, again, people are still usually trying to develop and build other qualities, add more muscle. But they need to have the skill side because taking six months or a year off from squatting or deadlifting, it's going to take them forever to come back from that. Yes. I can just jump. I can just jump back in. I still have 30 years of training experience. Like. <laughs> You know, like, like, like when I, when I squatted for the first time, it had been like a year and a half since I'd squatted. Yeah. And I, and I went in and I hit 750 and I was for a triple and I'm like, oh, that felt good. A couple of days later I hit 800 and then the next day I hit 800. This is last spring. Yeah. And so anyway, I decided to squat 800 every day for 30 days uh, <laughs> and I hadn't squatted, I hadn't squatted for, you know, almost yeah. a year and a half. Yeah. That's crazy. But again, like those, again, so everything is relative. So nothing I'm covering, you know, it's not how we train people. Right. So I can't go in the gym tomorrow and squat 800? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> that, I, I, yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it's really 
interesting because it, it really I'm experimenting with training in a style that I haven't seen anybody else really do. Yeah. But it's the goal is to be able to allow me to do some incredible things that no one else has ever done. So if we think about this for a minute, I squatted a thousand pounds for a triple. Well, not quite. I didn't lock out the third rep, but you know, sure. I'm the only person that's done it for reps. Lightest person by like 140 pounds that's deadlifted that. And the only person that's ever done it sumo. And uh, next up, when I squat a thousand pounds, that will make me the only person in history that's ever both squatted and deadlifted a thousand pounds. Any conditions, even if somebody's wearing a squat suit or what it like, you put throw it all out there. Right. Gym lift, gym lifts, what it, like that no one has done it before. Right. And so the whole principle is like, okay, move well, rehab appropriately, prehab, like all like do all this stuff, manage your training. Like it all works and allows you to do phenomenal things. Yeah. But my method for getting there is definitely a little different and very experimental, I guess. But yeah. if we think back on it though, it, that's I mean, it's very it's all scientific approaches to training. Yeah. I'm just utilizing the fact that I'm in a, you know, a position with a massive amount of training history, no desire to like gain extra size or, you know, do, you know, like, well, actually I am gaining size for the squat all in the stomach. So right. <laughs> I think like if I get fat, like it becomes, the goal becomes much easier. So I, I yeah. am in the process of getting fat. So, <laughs> well, you know, but here's the thing, right? Like you said, it's all very scientific in nature. Like you're moving from somewhat general to very specific, you yep. cut away all the fluff. It's just a really extreme example, right? Because exactly. it's one thing for somebody to, to build up and squat 500, right? It's a whole different ball game when it's you and you're going to squat a thousand pounds for reps or deadlift a thousand pounds for reps. It's just the sheer magnitude of it is foreign because it's so extreme. Exactly, yep. Because I know as I'm explaining this, everything that I'm saying on my approach, you're like, yeah, that's that's training principles one on one, right? Like, yeah, it, it it is, but yet you've never seen it applied in that fashion exactly. to that extreme, right? Absolutely. So, so yeah. one thing I want to make sure we cover is kind of your approach to the big lifts because I know you're very detail oriented. You've got that engineer's brain when it comes to breaking down your lifts. So, what's maybe one detail? And I'm sure you could go through a bunch, but maybe what's one big detail on the squat, the bench, and the deadlift that people are missing out on that's costing them pounds in their lifting? Okay. That's really simple because awesome. <laughs> we, we have to start with the basics and somehow the more basic we get, the more, the more people want to overlook it. Okay. So particularly the squat in the bench press, this, uh, this applies to the bench press, but it takes some conversation. So if anybody ever if, if you want to hear, it's like a 45-minute lecture I do on this one, or eh, maybe not quite that one. I did it at uh, one of the physical therapy or chiropractic colleges around why the arched, the arched bench press is a functional pattern and the mm -hmm. flat back sternal crunch bench press is not a functional pattern. Okay. So there's a piece I do on that. It's really interesting because it is counter to like what intrinsically makes sense okay. because then it goes very counter to what I'm about to say. So okay. that's why I want to lay it out there. But once you listen, you actually understand why it does make sense to actually all those reasons. But it's do how we load the oblique sling and connect the shoulder through. Anyway, okay. uh, so the, uh, the biggest piece is really our ability to maintain torso rigidity. So we've got two power generation areas, our shoulder complex and our hip complex. Yep. Now, and then we're 
drawing power, using the ground to generate power through those structures and transfer it through through our core. And core gets overused. I'm using sure. air quotes here since yes. for people. I'm with you. Um, but what we miss is the positioning is key. So I must have that diaphragm working in opposition to the pelvic floor to be able to optimize what we call intra-abdominal pressurization, which is not bracing. There's, we'll get to there in yeah. a second. But the deviation there where we've got like what's called an open scissor where, you know, either the front, the, uh, we've got elevation in the rib cage, which is usually what I see more often, or some pel- pelvic tilt. Usually they're in conjunction with each other. We will not be able to create that pressure effectively, which is the how we stabilize our spine. So any pressure, I, any leak. So if I've got an opening more towards the front, that that's going to be an, an escape, an opportunity for us to lose it. And we're just not going to be able to engage it. Anybody right now, you know, just if you're listening to this, you know, if you're standing, sitting, whatever, lean back and open, make your rib cage tall and raise it towards the ceiling and try to take a nice big breath filling the belly. And you'll, you'll feel a difference then if you draw that rib cage down into position. Imagine taking the, you know, the sternum and pinning it kind of to your spine in the back, not crunching. So we don't want to see any forward rotation of the shoulders. We actually should think about being tall through the, through the cervical spine, like if it's projected through the top of your head. You know, you, we'd extend or like hang from a Pinocchio string off of that. And you should actually feel your shoulders kind of draw down, but not roll forward. So a lot of people kind of miss that. They think they, you start teaching us and they'll start crunching towards the front. That's another fault. We're going to have the exact same thing happen. Yep. Right. So, so it's really getting those two working in parallel and it's a, it is a range. There's not, there's not like, you know, per perfection. Yes. We're, we're always in, we're always seeking perfection. Okay. Don't get me wrong. Like it's, it's, it's our North star, like it's right. there and we're always going to try to get there one step in front of the other, get, get in there, but you'll never actually, you know, reach it. And that's, that, that's fine. As long as we're in, in the range and that range is going to be different for everybody. Yeah. For me, I have a past spine, you know, spine issues and I move massive weights. Yeah. That, that is like, I, I have very little tolerance for being out of position. Okay. Yes. So, it, you know, it's just. That's what it's so it's it's really basic stuff like, OK, we've got to manage our spinal mechanics yep. and our ability to to brace. So now breathing, creating intra-abdominal pressure, bracing. A lot of people think that just locking down their core is bracing and or that that needs to be done for everything, which is definitely not the, not <laughs> the case. Go try run. Should go try to run fast with a race. Okay. But it's all dialed for the activity. You still have to have some, even if, even if you're a marathon runner, because guess what? You'll fall over. So, but at that point it should be very passive form that happens just through your breathing. But anyway, so we want to think about inflating, not with the lungs. I usually actually teach people to do this without breathing because we fault. If you're faulting to like big air as a strategy, there's, we're talking about the abdominal cavity there's no lungs in there. There's no air in there. Okay. So, <laughs> so we're not actually filling it with air. Your belly breathing isn't actually breathing into the belly. It's just a cueing mechanism, right? Right. We want to fill this 360 degrees around and outward. Okay. And there's a lot of different strategies that I go through and tactile cues that, 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 that we work with to achieve that or test it. 
But, you know, we want to be able to, in your lower back, right below that lower lower rib cage, you should see some inflation through there. The obliques, you should be able to pressurize and blow those up with balloons without breathing. Yep. Really check the lower abdominal. You can check the, the about two inches apart. So make a peace sign with your fingers, spread your two, front two fingers, put those right below the, the, the ribs, below your sternum. Keeping those ribs pinned in position, you should still be able to inflate through that spot and feel that fill up. And as you do it properly, you want to get this nice, even distribution. Okay. And that's where creating pressure. But to create pressure, you also have to have something to work against. So that's where now we start having bracing. It's not just, you know, that descending the diaphragm. So that diaphragm descending down starts creating that pressure internally. But now we have to have a restrictive outer core. Mm. This isn't just the abs or crunching the abs, right? This is the the thoracolumbar structure, the rectus abdominis, the t- transverse abdominis, like all this stuff, this outer, I call it just this outer sheath we yes. want to work against. So you've got to have some, you know, engagement in that area. I find that we don't have to think about the bracing. the the So there's, I, I use two terminologies. There's the eccentric loading. So the eccentric loading is actually pressing that tissue outward. Yeah. And we're doing that through descending the diaphragm. So we're stretching that material. We're blowing up the balloon. Yeah. The, the concentric is all those muscles actually tightening and restricting around it. Yep. And I see a lot of people just focused on this concentric activity. Yep. But the thing is, the concentric activity is going to happen. We don't need to think about it, practice it, or cue it a lot of times. If you go to punch someone, they're going to brace. You go, <laughs> you, go to be the, you go to be the puncher, you're going to brace. You go put a close to max effort weight on your back. You don't have to think about it. It's going to happen. Right. So I like to focus on the conscious piece. And anytime we bring conscious awareness or practice to these things, it's just like any sport. Great athletes are already doing this, but we can still get better. Right. And I have yet to meet anybody that I have not been able to enhance their performance through actual conscious practice of these skills. And so I really like to focus on learning that piece, being able to differentiate those. And then, you know, it's now we now we need to dial it for what we're doing, the activity Mm -hmm. that we're doing. So I like to we've got a great slide that we use for this. It's a, a little thermostat wheel. If you've got it all the way to the right. You know, it's all red and then it slowly transitions if you turn it to the left to all blue because we're using the diaphragm as a resource and it can eat, you know, it does both respiration, stabilization and the sphincter. But we're not going to worry about taking a shit while we're uh, while we're (laughs) working out. So so we're going to focus on the first two. Okay. yes. But you can't you can't fully utilize all your respiratory capacity and all of your stabilization capacity at one time. Yep. It is in there. So, so we want to learn how to balance those. People say, well, well, what do I, so when do I breathe? I'm like, well, it depends. If you're doing 50 reps for squats, you're going to be breathing on every, on, on every rep during, during the course of it. Right. Okay. If you're doing a, a max single, double, or triple, you may not be breathing at, at all. all. Yep. Because all of your resources have to be on stabilization. This is also what I love to use because for an example for those people, which is like damn near everyone that love that have been taught big air, big air, big air. They take this giant massive breath before they before they do a lift, squat, deadlift, whatever it is. And I'm like, you you realize 
the respiration is so you don't die, like from <laughs> like lack of air. And you're not going to die from lack of air during that rep. So right. one, you don't need to do that. Two, watch what you're doing when you do that. All of that is usually going into the chest. We see an elevation of the rib cage, an elevation of the shoulders, and we're actually disconnecting yeah. what we just called this power generation unit from the core, right? Now watch those people squat, and you'll watch them squat, and guaranteed every single one of them that does this, when they reach either fatigue failure or max effort failure, will fail at the TL junction. Hmm. That's interesting. Right? Yeah. Why? Because we don't have integration from that shoulder complex tied into the core well. So those two structures will break. Watch it happen. Watch Olympic lifters because they, they have a lot of that style. Yeah. Which fits, it, it fits their sport. So I'm not saying they're doing it wrong. But when they, when they fail for a squat, which is not their sport, you'll see it's always that roll forward at the TL junction. Hmm. They do it because they have this really tight, super tight grip on the bar to create all this tension across the traps and upper back. But it also doesn't allow them to really get the engagement of the lat as a stabilizer, tying it down in there as well. So we see the same patterns kind of develop there. Hmm. So anyway, it, the, the point is really basic. So we start with spinal mechanics. Okay? Yeah. And then we could start looking at our, the next in my priority is the foot. So, okay. so the reason why these are the most important is spinal mechanics have the largest global impact. And by spinal mechanics, I also mean the ability to stabilize it. Yeah, right? for sure. So uh, you could be looking at shoulder issues and mobilization, you know, all sorts of stuff. It, that's affected. Like there's so much that's affected by this. Even like the limits of like how much ankle mobility and stuff that you need. Because globally – if we're, the spine is moving in different positions, it's changing mechanics throughout the entire body. The next largest, as far as global impact, is going to be the foot, mm-hmm. the stable base with which to, to, to develop power op, off of. And then I would start looking at shoulder or hip complex for power generation next. Hmm. And then down the stream to all the minor things like elbows and knees and what whatnot, <laughs> and, you know. But Anyway, that's that's my process, and that's how like if I'm looking at a lift or breakdowns in a lift, those are the things that's going to be that I'm going to look at first. And so I said spinal mechanics. I I guess I did skip one, which is kind of important, but it's actually not done during the movement. Is assessing breathing. If you got breathing (laughs) faults, yes, you're going to have you're going to have faults. So, but you don't need to wait to have somebody lift to be analyzing and providing feedback on that. Yeah, you, for sure. You can see that as they walk into the gym or, you know, between sets or whatever. So, but in the movement, those, it, it's by global impact. So why you would want to start with the highest impact and yeah. then move down the street. Okay. Got that box checked. Okay. Now we can look at this other thing. Right. Cause if you don't, you're just going to be, you could be chasing these problems all through the body. So for sure. Love it, man. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about your equipment line because I am just fascinated by this. What originally got you interested in fabricating and manufacturing your own stuff? Well, first, I mean, manufacturing is my profession. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Running engineering teams and all that sort of stuff. Metallurgy, you know, that that is my stuff. Oh, by the way, I've got this great photo of of Stu McGill and me climbed under the street of my – under – under my truck in the streets of Portland, yeah. checking out the suspension. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. Because <laughs> he's got the engineer background too. Oh, yeah. And he's like, 
And I started talking about it. He's like, yes, you get it. It's all the balance of stability and mobility. And that's how you do it. And I'm like, yes, yes. And the same thing happens in vehicles. And I'm like, I drove my big truck outside. He's like, let's see if you did it right. <laughs> and sure enough, he drops down on the street, rolls under my truck. It's hilarious. Oh, that's anyway, awesome. so I owned a gym, right, on the right. side. And uh, I... I just wasn't satisfied with what was out there. It just didn't seem that things was being either developed by a lifter or by somebody that understands the biomechanics, right? right. And so our line of equipment has kind of evolved into bio. It's it's there's a lot of it is specialty barbells, but they improve the biomechanics during the lift. They remove the negative stresses. Stress is a good thing. We yeah. want to adapt to stress. That's that's strength training. But if I'm just compromising a joint position, uh, overstretching something, getting, you know, like these are going to have negative effects that are going to make you sore, but not in a good way. Sure. And so it's all about a couple things is one is improving joint position. The second is, and this kind of related to the first one, is about accommodating differences between athletes as far as restrictions and mobility, lever links, things like that. I work with a ton of professional sports and I know you see this because you work with a lot of professional athletes as well. Like these, these people are outliers. Yeah, for sure. Like people love to like, oh, look at this NBA player or this MLB player. They can't squat properly. Look at them. They're high squat and they're doing this. It's fun stuff for people to make fun of on, right. on uh, social media. Right. And I'm like, you know, they can't, right? Like, <laughs> like, right. like that person isn't built like you. He's seven three, and look at the torso to limb length. Like, he can never squat to depth without compromising position. Right, right. And so we're just we take this like here's a barbell and we jam everybody into it. Here's a plate that happens to be manufactured. There, you know, all all plates are seventeen and seven eighths inches. So that mean everybody has to pick up a bar from seven, you know, right. from nine inches off the ground. Right. No, that's just a just a random standard. Trust me, that had nothing to do <laughs> with anything around body mechanics. Why it's that size? Right. So if we say, oh, oh, why why are we trying to work around like these, you know, these things to force everybody into this? So I think the easiest to explain is let me just talk through some of our equipment. Yeah, really that'd fast. be awesome. So like the transformer bar. So we take that athlete that can't squat to depth. They're going into flexion. You know, what's a great fix? We grab a kettlebell and put it in their hands, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What happens with the kettlebell? One, it actually corrects some of the cueing stuff, so I don't even have to coach it, right? Exactly. They're gonna have they're gonna have that 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 good sternal position with the rib cage. They're automatically going to have you know that brace kind of come into effect when we've got that load in front of us, right? And the other thing people don't realize is we actually moved their spine. We, nipi- we manipulated their spine and moved it back mm-hmm. because the load has to stay over the midfoot for you to actually execute the lift, right? So we, we didn't put the load in front of the athlete. We put the spine behind the load. Okay. I like that, that right? thought process. Yeah. And, and it, it, so, but we can't load this pattern. Like it's a, it's a corrective. We can get a little bit of a training effect out of it, but – you know, go try doing more than 70 pound goblet squat for reps. You know, right. your front delts are going to give out. I'm sorry. I'm a strong guy. And <laughs> your front delts, like I, I'm not going to be able to do a lot of those. Right. So what we did is we took what has traditionally been known as a safety squat bar. And I'll actually tell you what, some other changes in our bar as well around biomechanics. But we freed it up so that we could actually move the load around into different positions and farther away from center. 
So we can position this load to actually manipulate individually a person's spinal mechanics or based on what kind of training effect that we want to see. Yeah. And so now we can get anyone. And when you do this, all of a sudden, because usually that person that can't squat to depth, like their knees are caving in, there's like all this stuff going on. Yep. And so like I'll go to the sports teams. I'm like, hey, give me your no squat list. Like, <laughs> okay. And I'm like, and then we'll make some adjustments. And all of a sudden, like this whole five or six group of people are squatting perfectly. Yeah. Coaches like there's drool coming out of their mouth. Right. You know, they're <laughs> like, what? You didn't, what? You didn't even coach them. I'm like, I, I didn't have to. Right. Like, because it's not just that all of a sudden spurt perfect spinal mechanics locked in. Right. All of a sudden, well, what's that going to affect? It's globally going to affect a lot of things. It's going to affect the shoulders. It's going to affect the hips. It's going to affect the yeah. ankles. Like all the of knee, it. Like, all of it, just like when you goblet got somebody, but I could actually manipulate it even more. Yeah. And we can add we can add load. Oh, this is a training tool now. Right. And then so what's cool is because a lot of people like think about a safety squat bar as being we've got this forward lever, so it's going to elicit more posterior chain involvement because it's levered out front. Well, if we can dial this and actually improve those mechanics, you won't even have to say anything. Now all of a sudden this person's actually going to start squatting like six inches deeper. Yeah. I kid you. And so now all of a sudden, guess what happens if they're doing that? They're getting a whole lot of anterior. Oh, wait, wait, wait is that more athletic to actually have all that stuff working together than separate it out? Right. Man, it might just be. Now let's talk about faults with a safety squat bar. So safety squat bars have these handles in this high rack position. One, it's uncomfortable. If you watch anybody squat with it, they'll pull it in and out of position. Yeah. Oh, did I, did I talk about people missing lifts at the TL junction earlier? What, yeah. happens, with the, what happens with the safety squat bar? Yeah. Oh, it's because their arms are up in this position where they can't engage the lats effectively. Right. <laughs> and so where are they going to miss? I mean, like we're setting, we, we know how it's going to fail. We know the yeah. outcome. Yeah. So, so we curve our handles down into a position that the elbows are beside you. So all you got to do is, you know, create a little bit of tension, but you're set up to succeed. Yeah. We also see some de-innervation problems. A lot of people want to use safety squat bars on a return to like after shoulder. We've got a lot of nerves that kind of run through this, you know, trap area. And not everyone, but some people won't be able to use it because it causes issues there. Ours is actually inside the pad formed and actually rolls over the trap so that it's distributing the load over the trap. And then we brought it the weight down to 45 pounds instead of this random 75, 85, because I, I found that a lot of people were wanting to use this with their older populations. Yep. And again, the bar is too heavy. So, yeah. so this is all like really, really, really basic stuff, right? Yeah. But nobody's thought about it or executed it. And all of a sudden, you've got a bar that is the only bar in the world, only bar in the world that we can manipulate spinal mechanics and a whole lot of outcomes from it. Yeah. So, it's a sweet bar. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm biased, but it, it's a sweet bar. It does a lot. So let's talk about, I just recently did a video on playground physics and related okay. to, uh, did you see, I don't did think you see I that one yet, one. Mike? No, I didn't see that Okay. One. It's, on, it's on my channel. You'll have to watch it. Okay. So we did this in the trap bar too, because this is an interesting discussion. So a barbell, we have center of axis and center of rotation all on the same plane. Mm -hmm. And it's fine because the handle is also parallel to that axis. But as soon as we go off parallel, so any sort of neutral grip bar, yep. like a multi, like a multi grip bench bar, yeah. a trap bar, anything like that, and the handle is still on center line, you will never be able to stabilize it. It is impossible. Yeah. So, so you're going to be fighting it with the wrists all the time. So if you ever use a, 
a football bar or a Swiss bar, it comes yeah. out of the rack. Watch everybody. They choke up on one side just trying to fight it because we're yeah. just used to having to, used to having to work around it. Why? Because it's always going to be trying to roll off of itself. It's a teeter-totter. Yeah. So, so which means we've got a infinitely perfect space that it's going to balance on. And by infinite, that means you can't actually ever find it. Right. You walk into any playground and a teeter-totter is always going to be sitting on one side. Yeah. Okay. So if we move the load below center of rotation, that would be a swing. Right. Load is down here. It rotates about this point up high. Where do those sit when you walk into a playground? Straight down. Straight down. <laughs> it self-stabilizes. Yeah. So what do you do? So if you look at our, our, our bench bar, our multi-grip bar, it's curved. Yeah. And people think the curve is for greater range of motion, which it is. But it actually allowed us to put the weight below the handle positions. Hmm. So automatically stabilizes. We take out the induced stability at the wrist, one that makes it comfortable. But when you watch people bench with it, you'll start seeing effects through the shoulder, elbow, like all these downstream joints of what that instability was causing. Hmm. And then we took the handles. So everybody either has an angled handle on their multi-grip bars or they're all neutral. Well, there's a funny thing about the shoulder, right? It is you move it through a range of motion from internal, you know, internal to external rotation, the, the grip is going to be different. Yes. Okay. So all of our handles are actually based on that. They're a little bit more, as you go wider, they're going to be a little bit more internally biased hmm. because that's the natural plane. Now we still leave some capacity left because you want to engage the, you want to have some active engagement towards external yeah. to stabilize that shoulder. So they're not fully... Like that's why I don't have a full neutral grip on there because you want to have some capacity left to engage that. So now you get this bar and the shoulder, you basically cannot get in a bad position. Yeah, I love that. It, it feels like dumbbells and this is what I get a lot of people, oh, well, that's just mimicking a dumbbell. So what's the value of it? And I'm like, well, think about this. What happens when you get strong with a dumbbell? You need a bigger dumbbell. You lose your range of motion because it's touching your chest. Yeah. Oh. And you get fatigued and you go past the point of acceptable range of motion. You have you actually actually have some injury potential just in handling dumbbells, right? Right. Going to fatigue, stuff like that. But yeah, it's basically, it's allowing us to get in this perfect position and control that shoulder, not allowed to get in a bad position. And when we do that, I love this. This is my, I, I love this in baseball because I swear every single head strength coach has a, has a shoulder problem and can't bench press. Oh yeah. So, so I'll go and I'm like, all right, who here has shoulder problems? And everybody looks at the head coach. I'm like, here, try this bar. And they're like, ah, I haven't benched for like five years, man. I, I, I can't do it. I'm like, oh, just, just try it. Put the hands, go down. Mm, that feels good. Let's put a plate on. Ooh, that feels good. Let's put two plates on. And they're doing reps and their staff is hanging out like this. You know, jaws yeah. drop like, coach, does that not hurt? Because it's also two to three inches deeper than normal. Yeah. So they haven't been able to bench press even a plate for years without pain. And now we put this bar in their hand. And they're putting a couple plates on there with no training and doing it through a deeper range of motion than they've ever, you know, yeah. ever really handled with no pain. That's awesome. And then the training effect from it. You remember the first time, like, I, I don't know, not everybody, like you're bench pressing in high school or shortly after and like you get a workout in and your chest doesn't work for like, a, you know, days yeah. or a week. Yes. It kind of feels, it kind of feels like that again. It's oh, really nice. <laughs> but in a good way, like yeah. your pecs and your shoulders, like. Not the sore, like, oh, my God, they ache. Right. But like, 
No, this is the, the, the good sore. No, I love it, man. So All really, right. again, really basic stuff. So trap bar, we've done the same thing. Same. Th- anyway, the, the list goes on and on. You get the idea. And then yeah. we, we have a soft tissue line of tools as well, which I hope people don't need, but we make it because reality is we do need some triage work on occasion too. So. Absolutely, man. I love it. So I got to ask this. It's, it's the big question I ask everybody that comes on the show this. If you could alter the space-time continuum, and give young Chris Duffin one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? Oh, man. It's a tough one. I, I uh, Because the thing is, if I ch- altered anything, like, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Yes. Like, I'm like, oh, I could go back and, like, teach myself what I don't know now or didn't know then or wasn't available for knowledge then. And then I wouldn't have, you know, these injuries. And I'm like, well, that sent me on the path to, right, to be able that. to help others. Like, I... I just, I actually, I, I thought about this question before the podcast because I knew it was coming and I'm like, I, I'd be, I'd be afraid to change any, I, like, I love what I'm doing in the world today. Yeah. Now, kind of along that line though, I, I did think about for, there was a number of years where I was like, God, you know, when I was younger, like I should have like sought mentors or f- learned the stuff that I, that I, that I, that I know now earlier so that I didn't have, you know, that, you know, the, the, the history that I have now. And I had beat myself up over that. Like, I'm like, I just wasn't, you know, doing the diligence and the work that I needed to. Right. But then a few years in, I was like, wait a minute, this information wasn't available. <laughs> right. There wasn't any, there was nowhere I could have found this at the time. There's no reason to be like that. It, it that's why I do what I do now. Yes. Like that's, that, that's what created this is because it wasn't there. And I've had to walk through the process of figuring some of this out and putting it to place in a, in a training environment. And what does it really mean? And then start sharing and teaching that as what well. like, yeah, even 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I know like it, it, it wasn't there. And so, you know, maybe that would be, it is like, go back to that time frame and say, don't stress about those things. Like, right. You know, you're beating yourself up for no reason because there's literally nothing you could have done. Absolutely. I love that, man. Okay. So last but not least, we have our lightning round. So I've got five questions for you. Starting with number one, do you have a career highlight as an athlete? Uh, yes. I'm not sure which one is uh, <laughs> my favorite. Okay. So I'll, I'll run through because it's there, there's different different realms. So deadlifting, the Guinness deadlift record is definitely a highlight. Like owning a Guinness record that's still not beaten for my thousand pound deadlift is pretty freaking amazing. Yeah. But I'm also really, really proud of the long feats of strength, like the 800 squat every day, yeah. that 400 kilo, 880 pound deadlift every single day for 17 days, because that took so much more. That's not just strong. But I had to, I had to, I had to be nailing everything. I had to be doing the right prep. I had to be doing the, like I had to use everything in my toolbox to pull off. And those feats are impossible. I can't do them. Like I know I did them, but they're like, they're crazy ridiculous. Like they can't be done. Like I'll never go back and try to, to beat those. So, (laughs) so yeah, so it's a, it's a tough call between those, but they're very vastly different. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Number two. I know you do a lot of charity work now. What got you started in that? So just giving back has always been an important thing to me. I had a very, very tough upbringing. So it's covered in my book, The Eagle and the Dragon. But I grew up homeless 
foraging for food, killing animals and living in condemned houses and tents and whatnot. And uh, I didn't have a lot of resources. And so, you know, a lot of the the charities, like the Grand Goals one was uh, specifically f- around, you know, those those aspects. And so being in a position that I am, I think it's a disservice to not use my platform yeah. to support the causes that I believe in. I love it, man. Very cool. Number three, are you training for anything right now? I am. Oh, what? you want to know what it is? Yeah, yeah. What are you uh, training for? I'm training for a thousand pound squat. So, like I said, I want to be the only person in history to ever squat and deadlift a thousand pounds. And I I think that will stand for a long time. I'm not going to do them. I already did the deadlift. I'm not doing it again. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just getting the squat done separately. But that's my goal. There might be a little bit more to that goal than what I'm that I'm letting out publicly. So we'll see. We'll see what I actually, you know, might be a little bigger than that. So I love it. Well, we'll have to stay tuned then. Number four, this comes from the gentleman who actually gifted me, him and his wife are distance clients of mine, and they gifted me a transformer bar. So Philip wanted to know, what's your favorite setting on the transformer bar? Mm. My favorite setting is one that's in the range around the front squat. So a two two or two and a half like C setting is really my favorite. I get a really great effect, great positioning. Yeah. So those are, those are some of them. That's, that's my favorite area. Love it. Good mornings. If you do good mornings, do a 2D. 2D. All right. So that will, that will put the, that'll put the load directly in line with the torso and it'll feel like a good morning. You've never, like everything that you want to feel will light up and the things that you don't want to feel like the low back and whatever, you'll feel so much better because we don't have a weight levered out behind us or in front of us like we would with a safety squat bar yeah. or a back squat. It is phenomenal. I 2D, good mornings. I actually didn't do good mornings for a long time because of the injury risk because I, and I didn't feel like the it was worth it for me. Yeah. That setting, oh my God, just okay. love. All right. Well, I'll have to – he won't get to choose. I'll just put that in his program. <laughs> I just, I, oh, hold on. I, no, sorry. My, my, 2D. A, yes, 2D. 2D, yep. yep. Okay, last but not least, what's next for Chris Duffin? What are you working on? What are you excited about? What's going uh, on? Yeah, so uh, I'm really excited for early next year. We're going to be launching our first barefoot style shoe through Barefoot Athletics. Okay. So that's going to be marketed specifically into the training realm. So I think that there's a uh, one, there's a lack of good-looking barefoot-style shoes. They're all marketed towards either runners or hippies. Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> and uh, so trying to come up with a better aesthetic. The other is most of them are still too narrow. And particularly in loaded movement, when you're loaded, the front of that foot is going to splay, and we want to, to allow it to splay. So these are all definitely going to have like a, a wider toe box. So if you have a naturally very narrow shoe, might not be a good choice for you, or a very narrow foot. Yeah. Um, but in training, you want actually a wider toe box than you would even have for, you know, general, general life. So, and then the other is working on promoting my book. So I'm trying to get on some larger, that's kind of my message on life and philosophy and how I can help people is covered in that book. It's a very great book on how to put things in place. It's not, like I said, it's written as an autobiography, Yeah, but really every single chapter is themed with lessons and it's, it's a it's a practical guide and it re, you know on how to 
one, really look and understand what your values are in life. Okay. Asking you those deep questions. It doesn't tell you any of the answers to how to live life or any of that sort of stuff, but it asks those deeper questions to help you dive and understand these things yourself. How to uh, understand what your values are from that, you know, how to create goals that will realize those values. And finally, you know, some practical uses and inspiration for you to execute a life that will uh, realize those goals and live those values. So it's a, it's a really powerful piece. Check it out. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and it's on audio versions out there. Actually, if you go to my website, ChristopherDuffin.com, you should be able to download a free audio version. Oh, okay. Uh, So check that out. I'll make sure I get it in the show notes. So they will have access to it for sure. But Chris, man, you've been awesome to catch up with today. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Where can my listeners find out more about you? You already mentioned the website, ChristopherDuffin.com. What else? Yeah, so uh, most of my time is spent with uh, Kabuki Strength, K-A-B-U-K-I Strength.com. And then uh, you can find me on social media. Mostly I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram. So Facebook, you could try to do something there, but I, <laughs> I, I, it's not, I don't really spend any time there. Mad underscore scientist underscore Duffin. But again, you just type in Chris Duffin, you're going to find me. Same thing on LinkedIn, you'll find me. So pretty, pretty easy to find. I love it, man. Well, Chris, thanks again. I know you're busy, so I appreciate you coming on the show today. All right. Oh, let me throw in a, another. Yeah. Uh, so we produce free educational content daily on one of our Instagram accounts. So there's a company account, but then there's our coaching account, which we put up tons of video content daily free. Kabuki Virtual Coaching. Okay. So yeah, you can check that out. I'm sure you can find it through mine uh, yeah. as well. So, but that's, that's a great resource because I don't put it, it's our coaching staff putting it up. So right. it doesn't, it doesn't actually go on my page because it's not me. Right. So. Okay. Well, we'll make sure we get in the, that in the, uh, the notes as well. But again, my guy, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. my friend that does it for this week's show with Chris sincerely hope you enjoyed it and I don't know about you but I found myself nodding my head in agreement more than a few times just you know when he's talking about stacking the system getting the rib cage over the pelvis the way he braces for these big lifts I just thought it was a wonderful wonderful episode and I hope you would agree if you did if you found something that benefited you or if you know somebody else that would benefit from Chris's thoughts, maybe it's somebody that's trying to get stronger or maybe that's somebody that's trying to come back strong. Maybe they've had some injuries. Please share this episode with them. I don't care how you do it. Email, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever platform works for you works for me. My friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care. <laughs>